0: Hi, I'm Georgia Graham and I'm a writer, editor, and pretty much retired model. This is Threads of Conversation, a show on Sometimes Radio where I talk to creative people about their life and career, as told via clothes. Today, my guest is Ronan McKenzie, the London-based photographer, director, and founder of Home, a creative space celebrating the work of artists of colour. During lockdown, McKenzie also began making clothes, And in 2020, Selassie was born. With her boundless energy and astute artistic point of view, I wanted to ask Ronan how she gets it all done and what she wears to do it. Ronan, welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Um, So let's start with the first piece. So this is the piece that reminds you of your childhood. So please, can you describe uh, the piece you've chosen for this?
1: So my first piece is a purple shalwar kameez. I grew up in Walthamstow, in northeast London, and uh, it's a super, super diverse and multicultural area. And many of my friends were Muslim. And two of my really close friends were. One of them was from Algeria, and the other was from other was from Pakistan. And they both regularly wore shalwar kameez, and it's like a long. Uh, sort of like knee-length dress um, with trousers that match and also a scarf that matches um, that some people wear over their head or just around their neck or it can kind of be like worn in different ways Um, and so growing up they were always wearing them and they came in all these different colours and were really shiny and some had glistens and crystals and sparkles and um, I think because I grew up at a time and in a space where we were all very engaged in each other's cultures um, and it was, it was really normal to share those things with your friends. And so when I was, like, eight or nine, I really, really wanted my own one because they were so beautiful and um, there was a shop just down my, just around the corner from my mum's house that had all these beautiful saris and shalwar and one day my mum was like, yeah, go on then, let's just do it. I think from there I started being a lot more experimental with the clothes that I would wear and had a whole clown phase after that where I was obsessed with, like, going to Camden and wearing, like, multicoloured tights and, like, cartoon print and all of this really random stuff and I think my mum and my parents just sort of were really free with me and just let me wear whatever I want um and all my friends as well also it was quite cool so <laughs> so that was I think that that shower kameez is sort of the the piece that reminds me of my childhood because it's the piece of when I started I guess take more direction on the clothes that I would wear and um I guess, my little tiny sense of style, my baby sense of style started to evolve. Your little
0: sapling of style. Yeah, it's exactly. A <laughs> blossom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I was going to say, you mentioned your mum and your siblings. Like... Um, you know do you come from quite a stylish family what was your consciousness around sort of fashion and style when you were younger was there someone that influenced you or perhaps the
1: other way that someone you were like oh my god (laughs) they're
0: such bad style they must make an effort (laughs) no my mum
1: was always really stylish to be honest like she used to like come pick us up from primary school wearing like leather leather skirt and she always had really good haircuts and like high top and she'd always look really slick And my mum was always someone that would be that person to like, okay, like when she was like 12, she really wanted hot pants because everyone had hot pants in Barbados. And that was like really the the thing. So she saved her money and bought her fabric and made herself hot pants on a sewing machine. And it was that kind of culture. Um, So I remember my my mum always looking really good. Um, And my older sister, my older sister, she started making clothes when she was like, well, say when I was 15. So she was in her early 20s and she had like a little brand for a little while, Um, and before that she used to, like, customise denim shorts and sell them on eBay, and she would paint, like, really quite, like, pop-art things on them, Um, and she would sell her shorts. And I started painting, like, do you remember when Topshop and Topman had that whole, like, plimsoll phase? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. And you remember the smell of those plimsolls? Um, And I had a phase of painting plimsolls, like, cartoons on them, like SpongeBob and... um, uh, Betty Boop and that kind of thing, and I'd paint them and sell them on eBay. And probably because I'm the youngest of four, I always had my siblings' wardrobes always to, to nip things from as well. Um, so I think it was always something we were open to. I think my mum grew up quite controlled. So with us, she always wanted us to be, be able to be ourselves as long as mm. we were being safe. Um, and that definitely filtered into the clothes we were allowed to wear. And there was this shop, I don't remember what it was called, what it was called now, but at the time it had all these like random fabrics with like loads of different cartoons or prints and shiny fabrics and all this and the guy would just like stitch them all together so they were really patchworky and I really really wanted one of those jackets I think it was about 40 pounds um and eventually like saved up and got it and I was just so excited about it and it's probably one of the ugliest things I've ever, <laughs> I've ever seen. There's a picture of me on a secondary school school trip wearing it, a secondary school ski trip that we went on and I wore it to like the disco with some like <laughs> neon green tights or something and I remember it being so excited about it at the time and you know, you look back on it and you're like, that is shocking, <laughs> like, oh <God>. I'm like <laughs> a clown, I call it my clown phase. <laughs>
0: No, I remember I I uh, I remember. I lived in Switzerland for a while and I moved back and I was at a, um international school with loads of American children and it was like skater style was really cool, mm. so it was like big and I was so small and so skinny and I wore these enormous yellow skate <laughs> shoes and then I'd wear these really tight Miss 60 jeans and then this huge orange puffer and at, in Switzerland it was like the coolest cool. thing. <laughs> and then I got to we moved back to England and I got to school and I remember being like, OK, first day, got to wear my coolest yeah. outfit. And I got there and I was like, what are you wearing? Uh, and I was like, oh no! Uh, um but anyway enough about me back to you um so let's move on to your second piece so this is the piece that you've chosen to remind you of your career so please can you describe this piece for us so
1: the second piece is kind of one of two it's a Uniqlo U uh classic like curved leg they're sort of like thick jersey trousers and there's a matching shirt and I have it in black and in brown um really simple just a really nice la mer fit obviously just you know Thirty pounds instead of like three thousand pounds, and on most sets, my assistant staff, because like on most sets, someone's like, "Oh, I really like your outfit. Like, where did you get that?" And I'm always like, "It's Uniqlo," and I've all I wear it to every shoot, so I don't know why people think it's something new. Um, but I think I started wearing them maybe three years ago, and they're just my go-to. It's comfortable, easy. Um, The only thing is now, sort of the joy is taken a bit out of them because when I look at them, I think of work. So (laughs) I will never wear them outside of work scenarios and just sort of keep them especially for that. But I did do one shoot just before summer um, and, like, the woman who I was shooting, it was talent and she was, like... I I was just making a small talk. I was like, oh, so, like, what's your normal style like? Because, obviously, she's on a shoot. It's not her normal job. So I was just trying to be, like, chatty and she was like, I guess you always wear that. (laughs) And I was like, um, (laughs) not really. But (laughs) anyway, I'll... um, Well, now if that happens in
0: the future, you can be like, um, here's a link to my episode of Threads of Conversation,
1: (laughs) in which you can hear much more in-depth analysis
0: of uh, my shoe outfit. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'd love to talk a bit about your photography career. And also, it's interesting you talk about, you know, wearing something very utilitarian because um, you're behind the camera and you're sort of, you know, essentially in a more practical position. Yeah. Whereas... In the last sort of year or so, particularly during lockdown, you actually turned the camera on yourself. So yeah. there was the self-portrait that you exhibited at your space, home, and then you also did that amazing—was it the luncheon magazine? Series? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Love that. Thank um, you. <laughs> so yeah, how did how did that feel? Like styling yourself for the camera when you'd previously been kind of invisible behind it? I don't know,
1: it's, it's, it was really interesting. Um, I think I'd always. I'd been interested in self-documentation, but obviously working, you just get caught up with your work and you just focus on that and don't really take much time to sort of stop and think about what we really want to do. And I think for me, I would started to get a bit like tired of the way that fashion and my career was going Um, anyway. And so I really welcomed the break. Of course, we were all like locked down for not great reasons and want to be completely respectful of that but at the same time it gave me a break from my normal like go 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 kind of lifestyle and just maybe sit and think Um, and I think it's important to document ourselves because you know you look back and you don't only want to have selfies to show for it because realistically you know back in the day people would print off photos and then have albums and you have like a physical documentation of something that can be stored whereas now that everything's just on the phone you never really print those images that you, you took with your friends and things like that or your family so I've just been thinking a little bit about that and I'm obviously really inspired by um, like Carrie Mae Weems in the Kitchen Table series and Joy Gregory in her Also Portrait series and I think especially uh, being a black woman photographer there's not much, much documentation of us in the UK at all and so I'd started to think about that and wanting to have a bit of something to look back on, not only for myself, but for others. Um, and at that time, I'd spoken with other photographers like Christina Ebenezer and a couple of friends of mine, and they were kind of either taking self-portraits or taking pictures of their sort of peers and community and people who were close to them. So I did the lunch and lockdown series with my partner, Diogo, at our, our flat, our old flat. So I'm glad we did it because we don't live there anymore. And... Um, And I think I was also a bit more open to sharing during the lockdown. Um, Obviously, being locked inside and not really being able to spend time with anyone, I think it opened me up a bit and not only allowed me to explore other mediums and um, sort of turn the camera on myself and think about how I felt and my position and what I really wanted to say through my work, um, but also allowed me to explore other things and think about other lives that I could live during this one. Mm. And how
0: did you just sort of take it back a bit how did you get into photography um sorry it's quite a boring question
1: but I want, <laughs> <laughs> love to know no, it's funny um actually that someone came to home the other day and I was sat there and they were like you're like a new photographer and they asked me that and I was literally like I can't actually say it one more time like I can't do it but um uh I just you know, it's really simple actually I've been talking about the over explaining of things recently because I feel like as an artist now to be successful as an artist you have to be able to really talk well about your work. Mm-hmm. And actually sometimes people can talk really well about what they're doing. It doesn't necessarily mean that the thing that they're the work they're creating has any connection to that. Um but my work, my practice as a photographer is really simple and really straightforward. Um I just really liked taking pictures mm-hmm. and that that's what drew me to it. Um and that's what kept me there. And I always said over the years, like when I talk at unis or whatever, that if it stopped serving me I would move on. And interestingly, I think now after Seven years of pursuing a photography career. I'm at the point where I want to put down the camera for a little bit and focus on other things. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, speaking of sort of career successes and the progress that you've made, um, that leads us really well onto your third item. So this is the piece that reminds you of a high. Um, So I'm envious of this piece. Can you (laughs) tell us a bit about what you've chosen for this section? So
1: for this piece, I chose my Bottega bag, which is it was a piece that it's a one of the hobo bags. Um, like the classic medium-sized one with the, that's very curved, kind of an oval-shaped bag. And I was in Paris in maybe 2017, uh, 2017 doing a job. Um, and my mom wanted to, I took my mum with me um, and she wanted to go to that mall there, the big, like, kind of Selfridges of Paris. I can't, can't remember what it is. Um, and she wanted to buy a bag. And I wasn't. I'd never. I've never been like a really bag person, or like very like ladylike in that way. Um, I was always way more into shoes, and not even necessarily like boots and things like that. Um, but I remember seeing this bag on the shelf and being like, "Oh my god." this bag's really amazing. And then I went up and saw the price and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I guess that would just be like a, a dream to have. It's um, so the one the ones you instantly sort
0: of step away. Just, I'm yeah, exactly. Personally, I'm always like scared of being even in the It's like <laughs> the same way that whenever I like drive, I never park near expensive cars. So oh, I'm like, yeah, 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 in Just in case. Like I'm a liability. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I saw it and I just really, I don't know, I, I think it guess go back to that feeling of not being an inexplicable feeling that sometimes artwork brings. Like I saw the bag and I often have that with items of clothing I'm like, oh, I just need that. Um, and I can't stop thinking about it. And so that was this Bottega bag, and I saw it, I saw the price, and I was like, okay, never mind. Um, and then two years later, obviously I've done a lot more, i had done a lot more work since then, and I've done a lot more commercial projects, and I was also kind of starting to just think about myself and wanting to give myself a gift and a treat for something, for the work that i had done thus far, and also, I guess, a new step in taking care of myself and, you know, believing and knowing that I'm worth certain things. And I was thinking about the bag, and I still really wanted it, even though it was two years later. And um, I took myself to Selfridges, and I was listening to Stay Flow by Solange, by Solange. Um, And that song, I think, always gave me like a nice, calm, and confident feeling and I was walking around and I went to look at it and then I was walking around a bit more and I was like am I actually going to do this am I going to spend this much money on a bag am I really going to do it and I thought back to when I was looking at it with my mum a few years earlier and how it was so unattainable and at this point it would it become attainable and I just thought that I wanted to celebrate that moment and I bought the bag and it's just it was the one of the last ones they had before Daniel Lee took over at Bottega mm. um, or before that collection was coming through um, and maybe that was just what the woman in the shop told me, so that I would buy it, but I was like, OK, this is, like, the last one they have in the store, and it's kind of a la- going to be the last of this Bottega life before Daniel Lee or before the new collection comes through. And I just felt like it was meant to be, so I bought it, and that remind- always reminds me of the confidence and the pride that I had in that moment, um, and that sort of looking back and feeling... It was just sort of a well done, I guess, to myself. I
0: think it's really interesting you talk about that with luxury fashion as well, because we sometimes think, like, oh, my God, these prices, Mm -hmm. they are incredibly unattainable, but then also the sort of working for an item like that and then the reward and the sort of gratification that you feel and the connection you create with an item like that is something that is incredibly special because I'm personally caught in two minds about like oh it's so expensive but then also like the journey that you go on to get yeah and also
1: the journey that the the piece has often gone on to get there too like whether it's handmade or whether it's made by artisans or there's a craft up caught up in the product or the piece that makes it so much more than just a bag or just a pair of shoes or just a jacket or whatever um and I think knowing that that piece will last you 30 years, 50 years. Maybe it's a piece I'll even hand down to a child or a niece or a nephew or something. Um, I think that's really special and something that I think fashion makes you forget because it's so fast-paced and because there's always a new collection every five minutes and there's always something new to buy and new colours and everything's new. But actually, like if we strip it back and think about the process and the journey of, you know, thinking about that, thinking about the piece, to it being made, to me having it and where I've taken it and what it's carried and what it's held for me and the significance of it.
0: Now let's move on to the next piece. Uh, So this is the piece that reminds you of a low. And for this, um, we've decided to talk about that low being the lockdown of last year. Um, So can you tell me what you have chosen that represents this period
1: for you? Um... I think I've chosen... We're sort of links on to what we were saying before, but I've chosen a Selassie trio of pieces. Um, all of the pieces that I've made for Selassie are very... Um, come straight from the soul and into my hands and into the piece because I'm not, like, a designer by trade. And I'm, it was never something that I tried to do, but it was something that I was kind of interested in and I would always, like, draw and sketch and stuff, but it was never a plan I had in mind. And um, so I've chosen selassie top jumper and trousers which was made up one outfit that i wore to the opening of home so the first day that it was open um i was wearing it and the top is like a kind of mini apron uh, that you just tie around the back and there's a crop jumper that goes underneath that and then these sort of seam balloon trousers um that are really long because you know us tall people it's really hard to find trousers sometimes.
0: So yeah, so just to clarify for the listeners, Selassie, that's how would you do, it's your brand essentially. Yeah, so. it
1: sounds still kinda of weird like saying it like that, but yeah, it is like a brand where there are clothes. Yeah, that yeah. People will be able to buy eventually. <laughs> I just started making clothes during lockdown. It was never actually intended to be anything But I started sharing it and I was really enjoying it and I was enjoying the process of it and I was enjoying how I was able to translate the same ideas I talk about through my photography and through my directing and film work, but just in garments. And what I also loved about it was the the prospect of collaborating with different people in different ways that I wouldn't be able to access through photography. Like working with Knit Studio, I work with KBN Knitwear, and we've developed these thermal series, which is all about um, the ways that m- more melanated skin scars and um, and also about having something close to the body that holds you. And then I've collaborated with my friend Ricky, who has a brand, Wesley Harriet, and we've done pieces together. And then I collaborated with Marco Bakovic, ba- Bakovic with Marco Bakovic on shoes. Um, <laughs> okay, we can record again. And then yeah, yeah, be, yeah. yeah be like, Marco Bakovic, <laughs> <Marco> Bac- <laughs> Michael Bakovic, <Michael> Bac- <laughs> Bac- Marco Bakovic <laughs> um, on shoes. And um, how did you choose the name? What does it mean? Uh, it means God hears me. Um, it's a Ghanaian name, traditionally a boy's name, um, and I take that to be very intuitive. And in my my I guess the way that it works for me is it's more about me hearing myself, and as long as I trust my intuition and myself then everything will kind of stems out from there and works out from there i think it's just about kind of finding an inner sense of peace and an inner sense of strength and um i'm projecting that out into my every day um and it was really special to me to have a an african name as the name of the brand because when i was talking when i was thinking about it i was like hey, what am i going to call this thing and i wanted it to be something that doesn't conjure up uh, whiteness like my name does. Most people think I'm a white guy, a white Irish guy because of my name and my surname's Scottish and my dad's uh, half Jamaican and the name's from his mom. So if you think, okay, how does this, this well, young black girl get a Scottish surname, it's like go back a couple of generations and it's plantation and it's slavery. And um, my first name my parents chose, it's the name of a 6th or 7th or 5th century Irish saint. And they found it in a book in the library and they just really liked it. And like, they had no connotations of it, so they enjoyed it. And I remember a couple of years after I was born, Ronan Keating like popped off and my mum was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, but giving this new body of work life and also taking ownership and taking responsibility about the fact that what I'm talking about is about my skin and my experience and how I want to be perceived in the world. The way that I am as I'm growing is extremely intentional. Nothing's like an afterthought, especially with home, my space. Everything is thought out, even the cups that we get, the candles that we get from black-owned spaces, um, the shape of everything, Where all the books that we have, the placement of everything, even down to the tea towels and then being in our kettle is like aligned with the colour scheme and the feeling that I want the space to have. And everything is very specific, which can make me kind of annoying in some ways when like something's posted on Instagram um that Joanna might have done and I'm like oh you need to delete that and take it do it again because it's not right but I think that level of like detail and intricacy flows through me and that's why I have to be 100% you know in love with what I'm doing and if I'm not then um I just can't do it Mm. so can you describe a little bit um home like
0: what that space is and where it came from
1: yeah it's I really just took it upon myself. I don't know anything about the art world, but um, I took it upon myself to create a space that people would feel welcome and comfortable. Um, I call it this kind of like multifunctional creative space because it's sort of a gallery, sort of community space, sort of library, sort of hybrid. Um, and I just wanted people to have a place to go to feel comfortable and see artwork without feeling excluded, um, where everything was free. Whereas, as long as you can get to the front door, then you're able to access everything. I wanted photo books and literature to be more accessible, especially from people of colour. I wanted somewhere that you can go and work and sit down, take your laptop, and you don't have to pay for anything a coffee or. You know, I feel like you need to go anywhere. Um, and I thought there needed to be more in London to celebrate the work of black artists, because there really isn't. And even the ones that are, the majority of them aren't black owned, even if they show work from black artists. And so there's a layer of context that's always going to be missing. Not to say that someone who's not a person of colour can't understand and contextualise, but there often is a lack of context. And that comes down to, again, a feeling. Um, And so I just took it upon myself to make one because I thought it was really necessary. And it's been open for almost a year now. And in that, its necessity has been proven through the work that we've done. Um, We do like residencies and grants and um, alongside exhibitions and have started doing more public programming now that um, we're able to be outside a bit more and be in the same spaces a bit more. Um, And I, I say it's got a keen focus on BIPOC artists because it's not extremely completely exclusive Um, I don't think there's any power in further segregation and I think it's more about creating a space that celebrates BIPOC artists but that's not to say I'm never going to show the work of a white person, it's just to say that this is our focus, this is what we're doing and this is what you need to be comfortable with and celebrating to step into the space. but it's really just a space that is supposed to warm and welcome and for people to feel comfortable to sit down and spend time with the work. Like in most gallery spaces, it's cold. There's like one wooden stool there that no one's really allowed to sit on. Or if someone's sitting there, they're kind of in the way of the work. Um, and I think it's important to be able to make artwork, especially for people of colour and even further to that, within the black community, to make being around artworks um, more every day. It very much is every day because there's like you know so much uh, creativity and craftsmanship within the Black community, but I think looking at to, uh, to and feeling more comfortable in, uh, I guess, more traditional um, exhibition spaces um, is is quite valuable, and to know that those works are for also for us, and that we can actually have an opinion on those works. I was talking to somebody actually, this lady that um, kind of like was judging my outfit when I was on the job, and um, she. I feel like she's like
0: the villain in our story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> we were talking about accessibility to artwork and she was saying that you know public art is really accessible because it's out there and anyone can see it and my counter to that was that, yes, it, yes, you can see it, but just because you can see something doesn't mean that you can read it, you know? It um, doesn't mean that you think you're allowed to have an opinion on that. And I think so much more work needs to be done to actually handhold people and bring them into creative spaces and let them know that you can like this work, you can not like this work, you can not have an opinion on the work, but you can know that whatever opinion you have or whatever emotion you feel is valid and valuable. And I think that's, I guess, one of the key things I'm trying to do through home. Meanwhile, making more space for people, creating more opportunities for people, um, and myself alongside that.
0: Um, so moving on to your next piece. So this is a piece that made you feel a part of something. Um, so can you tell me what you've chosen for this and why?
1: So for this piece, I've chosen um, a Richard Malone handmade turtleneck that um, is, well, actually there's two. I don't actually have a favorite one out of two of them. I have a dark green one, and I have sort of like a coral colored one, and the they are so beautiful and intricately made. Um, very seemingly delicate pieces because they're almost like a weaving framework I don't even know how to describe the type of knit there's sort of like space in between the knit so it's semi see-through um but there's this kind of ribbing that goes along the piece that is I guess where the color is more dense um and it's like a high turtleneck with a zip down the back and they were made by Richard Malone and his team and Richard Malone I'm a massive fan of for his craftsmanship and um, and the history and soul and, and the thought that goes into all of the work that he does. Um, and he made these uh, three-coloured turtlenecks to donate to Black Lives Matter and the African Rainbow family, two charities last year. And there was another third one that I don't remember which charity it was, um, but one of the, each colour was for a different charity. And I bought two of them, not only because I'm a massive fan of his, but also because I think it's really powerful as somebody in fashion, or for somebody in fashion, to use their platform and their work in a very simple way not it's all about me moment, but allowing people to buy a piece because obviously, you know, people love clothes and will buy clothes um, to to donate that money for a really important cause. And also for that to mean that anyone who wears that piece wears it with pride and knows what they were supporting through that. Um, and hopefully if anyone asks them about the piece, you know, then they can then share and raise more awareness for those charities or the story. Um, and having those pieces made me feel part of something important. Um And, like, I've, I guess, contributed in a very, very, very small way um, to the raising awareness of uh, more important causes and also to Richard and his work, which is incredible. Um, So I'm I'm really proud to have those pieces. And every time I wear them, I feel very full of pride and love.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to ask you, I mean, you're someone who's really unafraid to call out sort of half-baked efforts or like tokenism <laughs> in the industry and I think it's, yours is such an incredibly brave and such a necessary voice um but it takes a lot of confidence I mean you're a young woman you're still like you know need to get commercial jobs and things I know that people are sometimes afraid to speak yeah. out because they're worried about losing career opportunities um how did you gain the confidence to be such an amazing advocate for women of color and like diversity within the industry
1: honestly I just had enough like there was so much that I've experienced in in my career, even though it's only short, like I haven't even been working for that long really in the grand scheme of things um, that I've experienced personally or heard of and no one's really saying anything. And fashion is this like crazy world where so much shit goes down and that nobody ever talks about, hears of. There are so many people who are still working and who are causing madness and are massively problematic, who never get called out, who never, no one ever tells them to sit down. No one ever takes them off their you know, their throne, of their seat of power. And I am just not willing to let things slide anymore because I already let things slide when I was also afraid of how things might impact my career. Um, And again, it got to lockdown where I definitely gained a lot of confidence and motivation to to just speak because I'd had enough and no one else was going to speak. And even now, you know, if I ever say anything, I get like hundreds of DMs of people like, oh my God, this is so amazing you've said that. Like, thank you for giving me the, you know, the confidence to say that. And I just hope that inspires more people to speak more publicly because there's no point whispering in the background when, you know, things really do need to change and I don't think things will change unless we make them change and as we make people more aware, unless we throw people off their thrones. Um, And so I'm just willing to be that person and I think I'm, I'm not someone who's willing to be in a bad situation if just for the clout of the cover or the magazine or the being with that designer or being at this party or whatever like I started my career like my adult working life working in retail I used to work in office shoes in Stratford Westfield um, which is where I met my friend Justin who's an amazing creative director and um, an artist and where I met my friend Kerry who works at or um or does fashion PR who's has given me so many opportunities um, in my career um, through being in that space and I always think to myself of course now I have a lot more financial commitments because I have home and that's not off its feet but if anything I can always go back to retail I can always get another job I can always I've been teaching in the last few years and I can always just do more teaching if if I could, you know, if I had the opportunity to, and I'm not willing to be in a space that doesn't serve me, and I'm not willing to take any crap, and if that means that I need to, like, scale back and not do big campaigns or big jobs and have a more... um, pick up one of my practices, like teaching, um, or even working in retail, or, you know, getting a different type of job, if that means that I can be true to myself and speak the wrongs of the industry that I feel need to be spoken, then I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to... I think it's like a burning bridges thing, you know, and... I used to be concerned about burning bridges, and I think often people are concerned about burning bridges. But actually, what's the point of the bridge if it's not going to take you where we need to go? It's not going to take me where I need to go. So I'm just willing to burn the bridges down. And even though sometimes I feel funny because like, I don't have a super loud voice in the industry, um, or like, not like people are really like, paying tons of attention to what I'm saying, enough to throw someone down. Um, but I always think everyone's voice is really powerful, and even if mine's not super loud, doesn't mean that I shouldn't say what needs to be said. And for me, it was Instagram because I knew that's where people listen. So I was like, fuck it, let's just do it.
0: Mm. We need to get the woman who dissed your outfit and the um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, one else who was talking about accessibility to art. I feel like she's like the architect. (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I mean? She is Uh, sort of every woman of a particular type of person. Exactly. Um, It feels somewhat trivial to move on to the next item, but move on we must. Um, So what is the next piece you've chosen? This is the one that
1: reminds you of a great party. I think it's, not, it's important because I think along with, like, you know, talking about the shit that goes down, we also need to have a fun time. Um, and the piece, or not necessarily the piece, but anyway, I've chosen the moi top, um, which is a piece from my friend's brand, a really close friend of mine, Maria, and the brand's called Maria. Um, it's like a bra top with a sort of, like a piece that goes up to the neck from the top of the triangle of the bra and then there's like a another piece that goes around the neck so it's sort of like a necklace into a top but it's all just cotton um, and I've chosen that because I had a p- party for my 25th birthday and it was so fab and it was like one of the best nights I've ever had and I just danced all night and I always very often wear Marie at when I'm gonna go out because I sweat and I really like to break it down so I need to wear something that I'm comfortable in but also feel great in um, and that moi top reminds me of my 25th birthday party.
0: What did you do, what was the, can you describe the party?
1: Yeah, it was fab, we went to, it, I just like hired a bar, or like, you know, booked a bar, and um, touching bass DJed, and Shywan Marley, Mali DJed, and it was like, all the music that I love, it was like Afro beats, Bashment, like a bit of hip hop, bit of like, um, older like high life music, and some Brazilian music, and I mean, Everyone was just like chilling and having a nice time and I was just dancing for the whole night and it was just amazing. And actually the last song that Marley played was Stay Flow, which is a song that I was listening to when I bought my Bottega bag. So good, <laughs> I love
0: how it all comes full circle. Um, so just quickly, um, what's your party personality? What's let's talk like food and drink, okay, what is, what is your drink of choice? What was the kind of, like, what nibbles would you have? Design, I want to hear if you, you know.
1: Okay, well, I... I'm not like a massive drinker. Like recently, I've been drinking a little bit more, but I go in bouts where like I won't drink for a period of time, and then I will drink. Um, And I'm really close now with my friend Ricky, who has this brand Wesley Harriet, and he loves the cocktails. So recently, I've been getting. (laughs) We went for like a bougie day out and went to Selfridges and had cocktails in the bar there, which is quite fab. Um, So maybe I'll drink a cocktail. I feel like all the creators
0: are doing that. I've got two good friends who are both DJs, (laughs) and as soon as they got bookings again, they went to Selfridges, shopped off a storm, had some cocktails.
1: really fun. (laughs) You know, it's fun to like live that luxury life for a moment. and uh so yeah sometimes that like to be honest if I'm gonna dance like I went out actually on Saturday because it was my friend's 35th birthday and there was like a Congolese band playing which is like amazing and I just don't I don't, I won't drink because I know that I'm gonna be like thirsty because I'm dancing so much so actually probably my drink of choice if I'm going out for like a proper dance night is water <laughs> not that exciting um and nibbles wise I don't know I'm not much of a nibbler. I'll probably have, like, a, a lightish, like, protein-inspired meal because I know that I'm going to really want to dance. So I'm going to need energy. It's more like prepping for a workout than yeah, prepping yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> for a party, I would say. Protein shake. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the, uh, the piece that makes you feel sexy. So we've spoken about your love of dancing. Um, can you uh, tell me about the piece that you've chosen for this category?
1: I've chosen a Flemons open-back T-shirt. Um, it's, like, a fitted um, kind of like tight-ish black rib t-shirt with orange trim which has like uh, I guess like orange you know like the thread's are orange, um, but the top's black. I like how you keep dropping the words. you threads. know what? This is, it's like, very maybe, good. <laughs> maybe you really it's because like really in my branding. mind. <laughs> it's in my mind. Um, and the back is just, like, got a complete, like, half circle cut out. Um, and I just love it so much. It's not something that I would necessarily wear, like, if I'm going out or something. It's more of, like, an everyday sexy that I just enjoy with, like, some baggy trousers. Um, and... I think I really love, there are certain parts of the body that I really love and feel that are very sexy, so like the back, shoulders, um, things like that. So this piece is just one that, even though it's really casual, always makes me feel very um, very empowered and, um, and sensual, which I enjoy. Yeah,
0: because I was going to ask, I'm so interested in, like, different people's definitions of sexy like Mm. um what does it mean to you and is um what makes you feel sexy has that changed over time like yeah definitely
1: definitely um I guess when I was younger sexy was like what I thought people thought was sexy so like tight stuff short stuff um very like traditional I guess um and I would say my style is not like super feminine like I'm often wearing like quite baggy stuff um I do, like, a tight top, so I'll pair it with, like, something really baggy. Um, I love boots, so I'll be, like, I don't know, I'll wear, like, a tracksuit and boots, and, like, I'll find that very sexy. Um, I also used to have, for, like, ten years, I had really long hair, I had locks, so I think my feminine, femininity and sense of sexuality and sensuality was caught up quite a lot in my hair. So four years ago, when I cut my hair off, that sort of... I guess, gave way for a new breadth of what I thought was feminine and sexy and masculine. And for me, my style is very, I guess, ambiguous in a way that it really varies day to day. Um, And I think what I think is sexy is when someone is very empowered and feels very confident in whatever that is. Um, I do love a grill. Um, (laughs) I think grills are sexy. I think recently I've gotten quite into rings. Um, But I think that's also... Probably something again to do with power. So, um, I think like feeling very have being very chunky in terms of jewellery, um, playing up to my masculinity in that sense. Um, but then wearing like nice heeled boots and like a tight top with like a really baggy pair of tracksuit bottoms. Um, that's what's sexy is for me. It's more about me not worrying about whether I look a certain way or um, you know, what other people think of how I am and more that if I feel good in it then that's the sexiest thing for me. Mm. And what about like in a partner or someone?
0: Like, what um, what are things that you find sexy, and what are things that you don't find in a sort of clothing context?
1: I'm um, being
0: super superficial
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: we like to take from the deep right to the sort of. I like think super again, shallow. it's
1: more like someone someone whose clothes fit them properly. How they, how whatever that, whatever it should look like, it's someone that wears clothes that sh- that look like they fit. Um, I think it's sexy when someone has their own thing about them, and even if it's not wearing things that anyone would necessarily or like I would necessarily like, it can be sexy if they're carried well. Um, I think I think it's really. It's really about confidence and so it's not even necessarily particular pieces that I, that I can't stand because there are some things like I never really enjoyed a man in a cardigan but then a friend of mine, um, a really close friend of mine, Ollie, started wearing these cardigans and I was like actually it looks quite good, you know, like if he loves it then I can, I can see it and um, I always find it's kind of, it's that what you
0: mentioned before, like intentionality. When people have been like, I choose that because of this. Yeah, you yeah, You can yeah, feel exactly. that in what they wear, find that very attractive quality.
1: It's also when people are doing too much. Like sometimes people look very put together, like they've tried so hard to look a certain way and it might not be that comfortable, but they're like really want to look like that. Mm-hmm. That's also such a turn off. That's not sexy at all. I think like someone can be so sexy wearing like, a you trainers, and like nothing, like not just like nothing in particular, you know. Um, but if they're like carrying that well and like make eye contact, then you know. Then
0: <laughs> <And we, laughs> <And> I'm one. <laughs> so right, let's. we we finally got to the last item. So this is um, the piece, the one that got away um so please can you tell me I loved your anecdote about this (laughs) tell me what's the one that's still getting away this is the most
1: recent one that got away um well so I really wanted those Telfar boots uh the brown ones with the like little like T and the mini bag um and they came out like dropped like last week right and like when they dropped first time um I was actually at Freeze and I was with my friend Joy Yamasangi and I really wanted them so we, I set my alarm and everything I got on the website at the right time and my phone was really slow so Joy was trying to do it on their phone as well and um, we, we managed to get the thing into our basket I managed to get to the checkout and then this like weird thing was coming up that was like uh, we'll let you know if your address isn't right or whatever so um, Joy's phone was then going really slow and now Joy's getting like increasingly invested in us getting this mini bag and these boots <laughs> um, and it was like hey if we get like, Joy's like okay now maybe I even like it if we get it maybe we can share it it can like split custody between our houses um, and then it was like I'd got to like 18 past 2 or 4 whatever the time was um, and like the checkout seemed to be going through and then it was went, got all the way to a checkout and then it was like oh this piece is sold out so I was like oh for fuck's sake and then there was going to be another drop that evening Joyce actually sent it to me Joyce sent it to me there was another drop at like 11pm or whatever and I was still out Um, But Joy was going to be at home, so they were like, okay, I'll check it on my laptop and see if we can do it. Because we were both like, "Ah, bots, it's bots, all the bots have gone. (laughs) And then we were like, okay, we'll check it on the laptop. And I was out on my phone, so then I tried then. Um, I got the pieces in my basket, and obviously I'm like a size, I'm like a UK five, six I can manage. So that's like a really sought after size. Um, got the thing in my basket, got to the checkout, um, and it was like, oh, we don't ship, you can't ship to the UK. So I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. So then I had to go find an address in the um, in the US, and my friends moved to LA, and I don't know her new address. So I was like, okay, my agent's office can send it there. But by the time I got the address, piece was sold out. Then there was going to be another UK drop on Monday, last Monday at like 5.30 a.m., so I set my alarm for like 5.20. I had already created an UGG account on the UG website at this point. So I was like, okay, I've already put my, my address in, my card details. All I need to do is like put the thing in and check out. So we got to like 5.30 and I had like a timer on the website to, um, you know, when it like goes down to zero. Got to the website and it just started counting like minus 0.001, minus one, minus zero zero two. So it wasn't even dropping. And I was on the website for like 20 minutes and it still hadn't dropped. And it was obviously like 10 to 6 in the morning. And I was like, okay, well, I went on the, the um, UGG Instagram. They had a, ti- a timer that was like they're dropping at actually like 8.30. So they had a countdown on their Instagram stories. So I was like, okay, I'll set my alarm again. I'll just like get up then. Anyway, got up at like half an hour before 8 or whatever. Um, went to the UGG website. Everything was really sold out. But they had the mini bag, but I was like, I don't want the mini bag by itself. It has to be with the boots. So I uh, went on StockX even. StockX don't have the boots. They only have the mini bag. Joy was like, oh, this is this is gone. Let's just get the bag. I'm like, no, um, I really want the boots. Like, I really want the boots as well. Otherwise, it's not really a vibe. Like, it has to be both of them. So still on the hunt, but don't think it's going to happen.
0: Still on the hunt. Okay, Ugg PR, if you're <laughs> listening, consider the Please hint very up. much dropped. <laughs> Ronan that's all we've got time for thank you so much it has been so fantastic to hear about all the different items that you've chosen and all of the stories you've told around them I know that you recently lost your voice so thank you so (laughs) much for generously using what little is left of it um, thank you for having me on this show so yeah all right well good luck fingers crossed for the Uggs and we'll (laughs) speak soon bye Ronan thank you